So I'm going to uh, open the sermon this morning or open the message a little bit by giving you guys uh, a little bit of background on me or maybe just kind of uh, doing therapy with a microphone. Um, here's something you might not know about me is that um, I, I, I struggled a lot with confidence as a kid and even even going uh, into my older years. I struggled with uh, being confident, and then I was self-conscious about things, about the way I behaved, the way I looked. I mean, I grew up with ADHD, so um, uh, we medicated it for a time, and then after that, I kind of managed it. Otherwise, my behavior was different. Nobody understood. It wasn't, pro- it wasn't common in those days to kind of help a child behaviorally before you just medicate them. It just kind of was the medication. Um, and I didn't like that, so, but I didn't also struggled with who I was and the issues I had growing up. Not only that, I, I was uh, struggling with it into my time into the military and even into my time into the church. And when I started serving in the church youth group that I kind of got started with at age 26, it still followed me there. It, it followed me there because I thought when I started just serving, I was just uh, just to be honest, I was like, I'm not going to teach those teenagers. I don't want to do that, right? So they're like, we have a safety team. I'm like, that's me, homie. And they're like, what do you need? Just walk around the place. This was a big youth group, probably like three, 400 kids. And they're like, okay, well, all you need to do is walk around the parking lot and stop the fights. <laughs> was in the Marine Corps? Absolutely. I would love to, right? So I just, that's all we did is we would go around and that, that's what it was. It was on a Friday night and they would invite all the kids over and that's all I did for a while. And then one of the guys asked me to lead a small group. And at first I was like, no, thank you. Not interested. Then Leah leaned on me, and then the guy leaned again, and he said, hey, why don't you just try it? I was like, okay, I'll try it. And then what I realized is I was struggling because I didn't feel that I was smart enough to do that. I struggled with self-confidence and just felt like I, God surely could not use me in that way because I'm not smart enough for that. I mean, sure, I could read the Bible and maybe I could get some other people's outlines. Maybe Pastor Mike or Robert or somebody will help me do that. But I'm not smart enough to do that at all. And then when I, when I got actually into the church and got hired into the church, I figured I was going to be the executive guy. Right? I was going to be the guy that learned the business and applied the business principles. Right, I was going to be the one taking care of land. I figured I would be the one doing these things. And There was talks of a church plant, and that was exciting, but it wasn't, didn't come into reality yet. So there for a minute, I thought, oh, I'm just going to be the campus pastor, and this is where I'm going to be because I'm not smart enough to do those other things. That's what Pastor Mike and Robert and those guys do that. I, I don't do that. I can do it in a pinch, but that's not where I operate often. And I struggled, and I thought... God couldn't use me. He couldn't use me. He wouldn't use me if I didn't have the because I didn't have the attention span for it. I wasn't smart enough. I didn't have the education. Maybe I wonder if you ever felt that way before. Have you ever experienced that where you sit back and go, "There's no way God can use me. God can't use me because maybe for you it was the same thing. I'm not smart enough." I don't know my Bible well enough. God, you can't use me because I, I don't know my Bible as well as the person to the left or to the right of me. God can't use me because I don't teach. He can't use me because I, I don't know the tech the way that other people do. I'm not as savvy with some of these things. Or maybe if we can go just a little deeper, God can't use me because of what I've done. I mean, if he just knew what I did, and he does, that's the scary part. I mean, for sure, God, 
I'm too unclean. The things I did in my 20s, God, he's not interested in bringing me around. If I walk into a church, I've heard this before, if I walk into it, walk into it, things going to fall down. No, it's not. <laughs> you don't walk into a church, the church is a building, the church is the people, right? So when you walk into the people, they don't just fall down. So I've heard that before. And so I pose the question, and I wonder, have you ever struggled with that? I'm not good enough. I'm damaged goods. Something in me is not good enough, or God can't use me. More on that in just a second. So we're in the series titled Unlikely Heroes, where we're looking at heroes in the Bible, characters that if we talk about them, we all think amazing people of faith, right? Amazing people of faith. And you know the Bible stories associated with these characters and these people in the Bible. You know them. You know the Bible stories. You're aware. You had the felt grass, right? You know these people. But and a lot of times what we fail to recognize or pay attention to is that they didn't start that way. In fact, every single individual we're looking at is going to be a David unlikely hero. Right? I mean, Pastor John, he, he, John did a great job talking about David and Daniel the last two weeks, about how David wasn't even the one who was supposed to inherit anything. I mean, he was bottom of the list in the sons of Jesse, right? Like, he wasn't expected to do anything. He wasn't even in the room when he came to anoint him. He wasn't even there. He was in the field. So David surely wasn't, and then David somehow gets anointed and becomes the one that leads Israel. That's bizarre, and then he talked about Daniel, who Daniel was captured, totally stripped of his humanity, stripped of his culture, and somehow, and being thrown into the lion's den and, and going through all this stuff with Nebuchadnezzar, he is a pillar of the faith. And because of the way he continued to hold the faith, Israel somehow was saved. I mean, we would not, you, we could not even think of thing, being these heroes. And when you look at the beginning of their story, you write them off. They're not heroes. But the truth is, as we talked about, they're, they're unlikely heroes. And today we get to talk about one of my favorite characters in the Bible, one of my favorite people in the Bible. Now, um, he's not my favorite, because my favorite Come on, you guys know who my favorite is. Who's my favorite? Jesus, thank you. <laughs> Saved, right there. Sanctified in Jesus' name, right? No, no Jesus is the favorite, guys, obviously, right? But my, close second, real close second, Peter. Peter. I love Peter because Peter is so human in his conversations with Jesus. Peter is so human in his reactions. He's so, sometimes Peter can respond to something, and I feel the way Peter did, right? I'm, I'm a little bit like Peter in that, and I, and I acknowledge that, because Peter, when somebody came to take Jesus away from him, he's like, nah, homie, and pulled out a sword. I can get down with that. Jesus said it was wrong, but I understand Peter's reaction. I understand his emotions getting the best of him and responding in which the way he does. He has humble beginnings, so we can all appreciate that. Like we, He wasn't a rabbi. He wasn't a teacher. He wasn't any of those things. He was a simple fisherman. Not like how you think of a fisherman. Not out there with a rod and reel, okay? 
Not even the kind that they did on the, the stick figures where you draw a guy holding a rod and then the stick and then you've got the little bag and he throws it out there at the hook and then he pulls it in, right? Not like that. That's not how he fished. That's not how he fished at all. Fishing for him was not a leisurely thing. It was an exhausting thing. It was his job. It was what he did all the time. And it was not a simple job and it was not an easy job. It was exhausting. No rabbi, not a religious man, didn't come from a valuable family or anything like that. Not wealthy, has his own fishing business, sure, but we wouldn't categorize him as wealthy. In fact, Peter was simply a nobody that should have sailed off into the sunset of Israel, of Israel's history with no consequence at all till he met Jesus. Because Peter wasn't supposed to have an impact on the world. He didn't come from a valuable background. He didn't have the experience. So Peter should not have had an impact on the world that he did. His friends didn't expect it. His family didn't expect it. His city didn't expect it. Nobody expected Peter to ever be mentioned again. But lucky for him, because everybody around him thought Peter's not going to do any of that. Lucky for him, Jesus didn't think that. Lucky for him, he ran into the rabbi from Nazareth. And Jesus saw something in him to use him for the glory of God. So if you're one of those individuals where you think the way that I thought, that you're irredeemable, perhaps, maybe you wouldn't use language like that, or you think God can't use me because, and you have a list of dysfunctions, maybe you're one of those individuals that think you're unreachable. I think the story of Peter will help you today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Luke, starting Luke chapter 5. So I encourage you, grab your Bibles. We've got notes and pens out there for you guys. So read along with me. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can open your phone and go on the YouVersion app. You can highlight your Bible on there, or you can follow along on the screen. Starting in verse 1 of Luke chapter 5, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Jacinaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, it's a different term for it, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Now, Pete, now Jesus has not called all of his disciples yet. That hasn't happened. So Jesus is still teaching the word of God. He's teaching about the kingdom of God. And the same problem that we talk about all the time, crowds were around him because there was just something different about the way he taught. There was something different about the way he spoke and cared for people. And then he saw at the water's edge two boats, two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Now you got to get this scene. Jesus is up on the shore and over to the left is, are the boats or over to the right are the boats, either one. And he sees the boats. He's trying to communicate to a very large crowd, and it's very difficult in those times because they don't have one of these things. They don't have a microphone. So Jesus is communicating to this very large crowd. You also have to pay attention to what the fishermen are doing. The fishermen are washing their nets. Brandon, why is that important? Well, see, fishing in those days, I already said, is not, was not with a rod and reel. Fishing in those days was with a giant net, and they would go out into the Sea of Galilee on a boat, they would throw the net over, and the net had like four points, and they would let it sink down as far as they could to the close to the bottom, and then the net would open like that as it sank down, 
and then they would pull on the on the uh, on the rope and as they pulled on the ropes the net would close on the way up and as it closed on the way up it would grab the fish it would not only grab the fish it would grab everything else it would grab everything else so they would have to i mean this is their livelihood this is how they fed their families this is how they paid for stuff this is how they paid the enormous roman tax and the, the crazy uh, temple uh, sacrifice system that they were trying to basically uh, the temple was abusing so they had to make all these payments, and it all came from this act of fishing. So these nets were very important. They weren't small nets. They were very thick nets. So it was important that they took care of it, that they got all the gunk and debris and cleaned them off and washed them off with water and then set them out to dry. They couldn't leave anything on the nets. Very important. So you have Jesus teaching to a crowd, and then you have the fishermen with two boats, pulled ashore, and they're over here fishing or cleaning their nets. And so Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to pull out a little from shore, Simon, Simon, Peter, okay? Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. This makes sense because he's sitting and he's, put, and he's teaching everybody about the kingdom of God. He's got a large crowd. The easiest way for him to do that is to get into the boat, and the water acts as a natural amphitheater to where it's going to uh, amplify his voice so he can speak to a larger group of people if he just puts a little bit out away from them. You guys know this principle. You see it when you go to concerts. Half the time you go to concerts, you can't see the people on the stage. You're watching it on a screen, right, or in the NFL. The same thing, they figured that out then, too that, hey, we can create a natural amphitheater by creating space between the speaker, and if we put him in a boat and on water, everybody can see him, and then everybody can hear him. So he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, so Jesus teaches everything, everybody's like, oh, that was really good, Pastor Jesus. Thank you. We appreciate it so much. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Listen to what Peter says. Master, he's so respectful in this regard because he hasn't been called by Jesus yet. He says, master is a respect. He said, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything because that's how you fished. That's how you would fish is because it was so hot in that area in the world, especially those of you that have been there. It gets hot during the day. So they would go out at night when it was cooler and the fish would come to the top, particularly in the dawn and the dusk, they would go out and they would cast the nets out and try to catch the fish. Because otherwise, they didn't have nets long enough to drop it all the way to the bottom. So they had to wait till the fish came up uh, closer to the top. And Peter sits back and goes, okay, if we didn't catch anything, when you're supposed to go fishing, Jesus... If we didn't catch anything when we're supposed to go fishing, why on earth would we go out in the water in the heat of the day after we just washed our nets? Come on. We just washed our, we just washed our nets. And you want us to go back out into the water in the time when we're not going to catch anything, Jesus. Let me just explain this to you, Jesus, because you're not a fisherman. You're a carpenter. We understand. You don't get it. That's okay. But that doesn't make any sense. We've already done this. But because you say so, Jesus, there was something in the things you were talking about. Now, I wasn't paying any attention when you first started speaking, Jesus, because I was cleaning my nets. Did you ever notice that? When Jesus was talking to the crowd, Peter wasn't even there. He was working. 
Jesus went out and got Peter, got in Peter's boat, and then says, take me out. And Peter's like, I guess we're going in the water. <laughs> Gets in the boat like there's a strange rabbi demanding me take him out. But there's a religious respect there, and he's a rabbi, so he did it. And then again, this is that same respect, saying, but because you say so, Jesus, you said some stuff. It's really good, really good stuff, great sermon. I guess it makes sense, so we'll do that. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. Almost as if he's like, because you say so, not gonna ha- nothing's going to happen. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break in the middle of the day. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And Simon Peter saw this. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Right at this moment, he recognizes between the sermon that he heard from Jesus on the shore and then again in his boat, now he takes him out to water and somehow Jesus demonstrates power over the natural order of things. So it's his teaching in in combination with the, the, the power over the natural order. Peter sits back and goes, oh, there's a gap here between you and me and Jesus Go away from me. You don't know what I've done. I'm a sinful man. There's no way you can use me. Jesus, I mean, you can hear the desperation in his voice. Go away. Not because I don't want you, but go away because I'm not worthy. Jesus, if you knew what I did, if you knew who I was, And there's a sense at which Jesus knows those things, and he does. And there's a sense at which he says, everything is redeemable. Peter recognizes that he's face-to-face with somebody he does not have a category for. He recognizes he is face-to-face with a power that is greater than him. And he can't fully explain it in this moment, but his heart and spirit cries out because of the differential between the two. And he's struck with, his own, with the sinfulness of his own nature. He doesn't know he's the Messiah. He simply knows he's different and that they can't be in the same space. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. <clears throat> And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, for now you will fish for people. Notice, Jesus does not say, nah, you're not sinful. What's wrong with you, Pete? Stop it. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that at all. It's almost like Jesus goes, yeah, you're jacked up, but that's okay. I love fixing broken things. And he's almost like, he's like, yeah, yeah, no, 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 you're right. Peter, you're absolutely right. You are a sinful man, and I'm far too holy to be in the boat with you, but I chose to be here. You're right. 
in the way things go and what you've been taught, Peter, and the way you think about my heavenly Father and so the way you think about us, the way you think about, you know, the way me and God interact, like the way you think about God, you're right. I don't belong in this boat with you, but I get to be here. In fact, Peter, I chose to be here. I could have kept teaching on the shore, but I chose to be here with you. And then in the moment when he demonstrates his power, Peter is blown away. So much so that he calls his partners to come and be part of things too. Again, it's almost as if Jesus says, yes, you are a sinful man, but that's the problem I came to fix. It's provide a way to my Father that only I can provide. You have your faults, Peter. But nothing is too broken for me to redeem and for me to use. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. You will be used by God in a powerful way. You will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore. They left everything and followed Jesus. And Peter is blown away by what he's seen and what he's experienced. And he decides to follow Jesus. And his life is never the same. Jesus says to Peter, you are currently a fisherman. Peter, I'm about to make you a fisher of men. I hope you're ready. Peter doesn't know what to do with that. He doesn't have a category. He can't even explain it. But in three short years, three short years in the presence of Jesus, Peter goes from being the fisherman to being a fisher of men. Three short years in the presence of Jesus changes Peter entirely. Does Peter have bumps? Absolutely, Peter has bumps. Peter denies Jesus. Peter does things wrong all the time. It happens consistently, but every time the grace and forgiveness of Jesus is available for Peter all the way to the point where Peter denies Jesus, and then when Jesus comes back, he has lunch or has breakfast on the beach with Peter. I believe, a lot of historians believe, right after the same spot that this happened, because right after that, right after that moment when they have breakfast on the beach, Peter says, feed my sheep. And I just see that in the exact same moment. And in that instant, I think Peter is taken back to this moment on the boat with Jesus. Go away from me, I'm a sinful man. But you will soon be a fisher of men. Peter could not have predicted what this action would do in following Jesus and the way that it changed his life. Luke records what happens for us. Luke records it on the day of Pentecost. So in three and a half short years after Peter has decided to follow Jesus, and Jesus makes this proclamation, you will fish for people. And Peter's like, I fish for fish because they don't talk to me, right? I fish for fish because this is what we do, right? Like I don't, I can't read, I can't write. Jesus, I'm probably not going to fish for people. I don't even know what that means. That's weird. What are you talking about fishing for people? That doesn't make any sense. So you can imagine what Peter's wrestling with. He couldn't have predicted what was about to happen. In three short years, the Holy Spirit arrives in power and falls upon Peter and the other disciples. And then, 
Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. After the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus gives the proclamation, gives the great commission, and the charge to Peter and all the disciples. The Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost. Peter can't keep his mouth closed anymore about the gospel. And here's the great thing. He stands up in front of thousands of people because on the day of Pentecost was the celebration of the festival of weeks. So there was thousands of Jews in Jerusalem at this time. God couldn't have orchestrated it any better. And then Peter stood up with the 11 right at that moment, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. I knew a man that I don't think was just a man. I was face to face with God. And if you don't hear anything else that I hear, Peter would say, believe in him. And Peter goes on to uh, explain the gospel. In verse 32, he explains and he says, God raised this Jesus to life. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Not we all think it happened. Not we all did anything else. We are witnesses. Peter would look around and say, we, me, and point to all of his friends behind him and say, and we saw him. We experienced it. We had breakfast with him. We are witnesses of this moment. Exalted, Peter continues, to the right hand of God. He was received from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, and poured out what you now see and hear. Why does he say that? He says that because there are 15 different people groups and that thousands of people that are gathered hearing Peter as he raises his voice giving the gospel. And every people group heard the gospel in their own language. Peter's very act of speaking the gospel to 15 different people groups in different languages was a manifestation of the Holy Spirit and what we consider the gift of tongues. And Peter says, you hear it, right? You speak Greek, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, come on. Peter's, Peter looks and says, if, if there's nothing else, I'm speaking to you right now, and you see it and you hear it, but you're in our, you speak Armenian. I mean, come on. You speak Egyptian. I mean, come on. You, you're, from, you're from the Mediterranean area. You don't know any of these languages, but yet you're hearing me? Peter grabs their attention and says, look, guys, not only did it happen, but you see it right now. This action, Peter says, is evidence of God's power, of God pouring out his spirit. Luke captures the end for us. He said, those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. The lowly fisherman has become a fisher of men. Three years earlier, if you were to tell Peter that he would be reaching thousands, he would have looked at you and said, you're ridiculous. If you would have looked at Peter, had no formal pastoral training. He never went to seminary, guys. He never went. I mean, walking with Jesus is pretty close, I think. But he never went. No degree in biblical studies, never worked with an elder board, never done any of those things at all. 
But yet on the day of Pentecost, empowered by the Holy Spirit, because he decided to follow Jesus, it's poured out. And thousands are added to the number. Not only that, Peter goes on to lead the church, not just preach the gospel, lead the church in Jerusalem for the next 15 years. Peter goes on to set up what the church in Jerusalem is going to look like. So Peter, the lowly fisherman, whose business consisted of him and his brother Andrew, is now leading a movement forward into the world to change the world, to tell the story of his friend, Jesus, and his Lord, Jesus. I say all that because I want you to get this point. Your starting point is not related to your destination. Peter was a lowly fisherman, had no business speaking to people on the day of Pentecost. And then now there's St. Peter's Basilica, there's St. Peter's everything around the world. Why? Because Peter had a profound impact on the world. Not only did he preach the gospel this one time, but he would go on to argue the gospel to the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the time. He would argue that and he would witness to the story of Jesus all the way to the point to where he's going to be crucified. And as he's going to be crucified, because they got to stop, they got to keep Peter quiet about talking about Jesus. But all the way to the point when he's about to be crucified, tradition tells us he said, No, 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 don't, please don't do it like that. That's, that's for Jesus. I don't look like that. Crucify me in a different position. So he's crucified upside down. Peter was not and would not have ever been the one to do this because he's an unlikely hero. But here's the key. Your starting point is not related to your destination. When you're following Jesus. When you're following Jesus, the two do not correlate. We've seen it all across the history books. We see it in the Bible, and then we even see it in the history books. When you begin to follow Jesus, your starting point and your destination are not always linked together. You think, I can't, I'm not capable, God hasn't given me the ability, yada, yada, yada. You can say all things, and those things are true. Sure, maybe you don't. Maybe you're not capable yet. Maybe you don't, maybe you don't have the power, maybe you don't have the skill set, maybe you, need to, you don't have the education, but the truth is, Peter had none of those things. And following Jesus changed his entire life. In fact, when Peter decided to follow Jesus, our lives were changed. Because look, we get to sit here and hear the story of Peter. And the gospel was furthered because of Peter. Peter was a simple fisherman. The switch happened when he began to believe, or switched from just believing in Jesus, but following Jesus. Believing is easy. It's very easy to believe. Believing is saying, yes, I accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior of the world. Following Jesus, however, is far more difficult. Following Jesus is far more difficult. In the Great Commission, Jesus says, go forth and make disciples. Not believers, 
disciples, very specific on that word. Go forth and make disciples. And then he continues, he says, teaching them everything to obey all the commands that I have given you. Not just believe. But unfortunately, so many of us just believe. Yeah, 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 I come to church on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. I'm I'm present. You know, I, I go to the Bible study. I read my Bible, but I don't let it actually get inside of me. You know, I don't let it play out in my life. I I don't follow Jesus, but I believe in Jesus. You've met people like this before, right? And they're very shallow most of the time. They're very shallow Christians. Or, and you don't don't look around, they're the mean ones. Tell me I'm wrong. They're the mean Christians. They believe and they know, but when you, you deal with them, you're like, I don't think we read the same Bible. I'm not sure you're reading. What version are you reading? Is that like your version? Did you translate it yourself? I mean, because the way you're treating people, the way you're behaving, your excuse for doing this thing, I don't find it in my Bible. You, you, you run into this situation where you've, you know these people, Right? You know these people, and you don't want to be those people. I know you don't. You don't want to be one of those people at all because the life-changing power of the gospel is on display when it's walked out in life. That's where the life-changing power of the gospel happens. Not because you believe it. Let me be very clear. Everybody look at me. Just because you believe in Jesus, you will not change the world. Send the emails later. I'm just going to tell you, just because you believe, the world is not better because you believe. The world will be better because you follow Jesus. Believing gets you into heaven. I mean, he put them cookies on the lowest shelf, okay? He put them real low. So you come in, and I mean, the bar is not hard. You could trip over the sucker and make it in sometimes, it feels like. All you got to do is believe. Okay, we got that, Paul. Thank you so much. Jesus says it, and then Paul explains it more in Romans. Just believe in Jesus. Okay, cool. I believe in Jesus. Got it. Okay, you're in. But my life still sucks. Are you following Jesus, or are you believing in Jesus? People ask me that. They'll, they'll say those things to me. I mean, I get it often. They say, Brandon, I, I'm a Christian, but my life hasn't gotten any better because, I've believed, because I'm a Christian. Well, first of all, let me tell you, just because you're a Christian does not mean your life is going to be easy. Jesus never promised that. He didn't promise that at all, whatsoever. And I always ask them this question. I always ask them this question. Are you following Jesus, or are you just believing in Jesus? Believing is good. I'm not making, I'm not mincing words about that at all. I'm not saying that believing in Jesus is not good. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it's not enough. If you are a Christian, it entails following Jesus, not just believing in Jesus. I get it from time to time. Brandon, I'm a Christian, but my marriage isn't getting any better because I say it all the time. I'm better because Jesus is in my life. I'm better because I follow Jesus. You say, Brandon, 
I'm a Christian, but my marriage isn't any better. Well, okay, are you following the commands in the Bible uh, to submit yourself to one another as unto Christ, uh, out of reverence for Christ, or are you handling your marriage like the secular world? But I believe, but you're behaving like them. You're behaving out of line with what Jesus teaches. Brandon, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, but work is not any better. Okay, well, all right. Uh, are you following biblical principles in your leadership at work? Are you following biblical principles of integrity and ethical leadership? Or are you leading and working as everybody else? Following Jesus makes you better at life. It's a better way to do life. Brandon, my finances are, I mean, I'm a Christian. I heard the preacher on TV. He said, if I give is a give unto you, right? Like I, I saw it. It's there. It's on my TikTok. And I believe, I follow, you know, I, I think I follow, I believe, but I'm not getting any blessing. Well, are you following the principle of the tithe as best as you are able? Are you applying biblical principles to your finances? These are uncomfortable questions. But the question that you have to wrestle to the ground, and I know I got all up in your grill and everybody's uncomfortable and they're all tight right now. But it's true. Jesus called us to follow him, not simply believe. Believing doesn't change your life and believing doesn't change the lives of those around you. Believing changes your eternity. It does not change your present following him, following his commands, do. So are you following or are you simply believing? Peter believed. Oh, Peter believed when he interacted with Jesus on the boat. Go away from me, I'm a sinful man. His life changed. His life changed when he began to follow Jesus. Now let me ask you this just, just for thought. Imagine what God could do in your life if you just stopped believing, stopped just believing and started to follow him. Imagine what he could do in your life.